The following audio is from Norris Ferry Community Church. More information about Norris Ferry Community Church is available at norrisferrychurch.org. Well, good morning. How's everybody doing this morning? Good. Well, we continue our study through Genesis, and we've been wrestling with the idea of God's sovereignty or God's sovereignty as it relates into the everyday details of life is, is God's providence. And we wrestle with it because we are, it's hard to understand how to re- reconcile our real, responsible, uh, consequential decisions with the fact that God is sovereignly involved in every detail of life. The scriptures tell us that he works all things according to the counsel of his will. But what we've been encouraged to do by the scriptures is to embrace it even if we can't understand it. Uh, Why should you embrace the fact that God is sovereign? Because God is infinitely good. He's infinitely wise. And so you want him in your life, I promise. And so even when we can't understand it, we're encouraged to embrace the fact that God is sovereignly involved in every detail of your life. Uh, today we come to we continue the same uh, study about God's sovereignty, but we see how God's sovereignty relates to our wealth. Uh, all throughout the narrative we're looking at today, as we continue to study Jacob, is wealth, 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 wealth. Uh, every conversation they have is about wealth. Whose wealth do you have? You have his wealth. Well, you got the wealth from him, and how did you get that wealth? It's all throughout the scriptures. So let me just uh, tell you up front: if you're a guest, I didn't choose to talk about money because we want your money. We, have, we go through the Bible, and we are working through just verse after verse, and we come to a text that is talking about wealth. And so our desire, as we look at scriptures, is to learn from the scriptures how we should think and act about things. And so today, we study the concept of how do we think about God and his sovereignty as it relates to our wealth. And we're going to ask God to help us think faithfully about it. But as I was thinking about this, I was doing some research online, and I came across an incredibly relevant article. Uh, In this article in The Atlantic, written by Robert Frank, just the title alone, if you've been with us, you know how appropriate this is or how relevant this is. Here's what the title of the article is. Quote, why luck matters more than you might think. Subtitle, when people see themselves as self-made, they tend to be less generous and public-spirited, end quote. So in this article written by uh, Frank, Robert Frank, he's, he's arguing that the things that we can't control or explain, he credits those things to luck. Now, I've been beating that out of our heads for about a month as we've looked at these passages. But in this article, I think we see a real accurate picture of the cultural mindset. And if we're honest, what many of us think about wealth and success. In this article, he says that we, when we look back at our success and we repeat to others how it came about, we don't give, in his words, luck enough credit. We forget all the lucky things that happened or in his, in, in, you know, in our, all the things that were beyond our control. And he says the result of this is actually really good because he says it feeds our pride. Again, this is his article. He says, and why is that good? Because when it feeds our pride, it makes us stronger in facing obstacles. And so it feeds our self-reliance. And so... Not acknowledging the luck that has happened in our success feeds our prideful self-reliance, which enables us to push through the obstacles and make more money. This is the cultural worldview. He says one downfall to this 
is that we are less generous and less concerned about the public good because we think, I made it, it's my money. So, is that a proper worldview of money and success and possessions and power that we have accumulated? Okay, good answer. You'll stay and hear the worldview as we see in the scriptures. So we're going to study the scriptural worldview. So in this study today, we're going to work through the narratives of Jacob, and we're going to pull out little points that will build a worldview so that at the end we can say, okay, this is how we should think about uh, wealth and success, and this is how we should respond. Let me ask the Lord to help us this morning. God, by your spirit, would you take the scriptures that we study uh, and teach us, give us understanding, uh, teach us how to think about wealth or the lack of wealth, Teach us how to respond faithfully according to your scriptures. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, again, turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 30, verse 25. And as we read through these narratives, I'm going to pull out worldview. I'm going to build a worldview of uh, the biblical worldview of success and wealth. So where are we? We're picking up where we left off. Uh, We're leaving off where Laban... uh, deceived Jacob by making him work an extra seven years. Remember, he said, uh, what can I do for you? Uh, it was so funny. I got twisted up in the first service because I was saying father-in-law, father-in-law, father-in-law. And then all of a sudden, I just had this like outer body experience. And I was like, wait, it's his uncle, isn't it? And they were like, yeah, both. Okay, so he's uncle father-in-law, okay? It's just messed up, and that's why I said, surely I'm confusing this. But no, it's not confusing. That's who he is. He is Jacob's uncle and Jacob's father-in-law because he married, Jacob married his cousin. It's weird. But anyway, so his father-in-law, his uncle, has betrayed him. He said, let me, marry, let me work seven years for your daughter, Rachel. Well, he worked seven years, and then he got Leah instead of Rachel. So then he said, i got to work another seven years to get Rachel. So his, his uncle father-in-law has deceived him for 14 years. And he's like, I am tired of this. And so he, Jacob comes to Laban. Now I'm in 3025. Jacob says to Laban, send me away that I may go to my own home and country. Give me my wives and my children for whom I have served you that I may go, for you know the service that I have given you. So let's stop there. It's been a tough 14 years. Sometimes we go through long stretches that are tough. Jacob has certainly gone through a long stretch of 14 years. He's flat broke. He's been done wrong by his father-in-law, who has tricked him into working the extra seven years. He's kept his end of the contract Worked those 14 years, and he's come to Laban, and he says, I want to go home. So let me just stop and make the point in our building of the worldview, of the biblical worldview of work and success and money and, and all that. What we see is though God is sovereign, we still go through seasons of difficulty. You know, there's a prosperity gospel out there that says that if if you just have faith that you won't struggle, you'll have great times and you'll have everything you ever wanted. That's not biblical. The scripture says God is sovereign, God is good, but you still will go through difficult times. When you go through difficult times, don't say, well, that's just bad luck. God wouldn't be in the... God is there and don't take him out of it because that is your hope in the midst of the struggle, is that God is good, God is in this, and he will use it for good. Wait on the Lord. So keep that in mind 
as you work hard, and you may be in that second seven year of, of working and having been done wrong, the Lord is there. He is good. Wait on the Lord. Continue reading in verse 27. But Laban said to Jacob, Jacob says, I want to go. Laban says, no, wait a minute. I have found favor. If I have favor in your sight, just wait a minute. See, I've learned by divination, which is forbidden in Scripture. It's kind of like messing with the dark side. You don't do that. He says that the Lord has blessed me because of you. Now, that's interesting because later in the text, we see Laban doesn't give credit to the Lord for this. I think Laban is playing Jacob. Laban wants Jacob to stay and keep working because he knows he's gotten rich because of Laban's hard work. And so Laban, excuse me, I'm sorry. Laban has gotten rich off of Jacob's hard work. And so Laban's saying, Jacob, don't leave. I know God has blessed me because of you. Later we see Laban doesn't believe that at all. But Jacob realizes that he's very valuable to Laban, and Laban's saying, leave, don't leave. And so Laban says, name your wages, and I will give it. So this is kind of a key employee situation. Laban understands Jacob is a key employee, and Laban has made a killing because of Jacob. Jacob says, I've, I've kept my end of the deal. I'm going home. And Laban says, name your wages. I don't want to lose you. Stay here. I think there's a point to be made here about God honors faithful, hard work. He gives you favor with your employer if you are a good, faithful employee. It doesn't mean you're going to necessarily get rich. It doesn't necessarily mean it's going to always turn out the way you want. But God honors faithful work ethic. And so he's given Jacob a measure of influence or uh, uh, power, if you will, in this situation with Laban. He is very valuable to Laban. So verse 29, Jacob says to Laban, now you yourself know how I have served you and how your livestock have fared with me. For you had little before I came and it has increased abundantly. And the Lord has blessed you wherever I have Turn. And so Jacob is giving God credit for making Laban rich through Jacob's hard work. And Jacob knows that he, is, he has to provide for his own family. And so then he says, but now when shall I provide for my own household also? This too is taught in the scriptures. We have a responsibility to provide for our household. In 2 Thessalonians 3.8, the ministers of the gospel said, we did not eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor, we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. Verse 10, for even when we were with you, we would, uh, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. The Bible teaches us that we should work hard. We should be exemplary in our work. We should put forth nice day's work. We should do our, our duty. We should put forth hard work, provide for our family, and not to be a burden to others. If you are able to work, work. In our culture, we need to hear this. It's not about just standing around hoping someone else gives me my break and gives me what I think I deserve. You work hard. That's the biblical teaching. 
We should be examples of hard work. And the Lord honors hard work. He will enable you to provide for your family. He will enable you not to be a burden. We should work hard to be able to provide for our family and to provide for others who are not able to work, but who are willing to work. We should be willing to work hard. Then Laban says in verse 31, well, what shall I give you? Notice what he says, what shall I give you? What can I do to bribe you to stay? What can I give you? Laban's not speaking of wages. He says a gift. And Jacob says, you shall not give me anything. This sounds almost prideful. But when we see his, the previous narratives where Abraham did the very same thing. Remember, Abraham saved Lot and, and the men from the, uh, the Sodom and all the different cities. And he brought them back. And they said, what can we give you? And he said, don't give me anything. I don't want to, to give you credit for my wealth. I don't trust in you. I trust in the Lord. I want the Lord to get all the glory for whatever I have. And so he's not sitting around saying, yeah, just give me. Because when someone gives and they get all the credit, what we are to do is to work hard and trust the Lord to give whatever he deems appropriate. And so they were trusting in God as the source of their provision and wealth. This is a very important point for us. God chooses how much wealth you get. God chooses how much wealth you should get. Well, no, I work hard. Yes, you are to work hard. But guess what? The Bible tells us every one of us should work hard. But then God is choosing whom he will bless with great wealth. That's humbling, isn't it? Oh, that wasn't God. That was me. I did this. I did that. I studied. I went and got further education. I landed that job. And we tend to forget all throughout our story the actual things that were beyond our control, which we don't say was luck. It was God's gracious gift. God is the source of our provision and any wealth that we may or may not have. Verse 31, Jacob continues to make a counteroffer. This is like a, a negotiation. This is like, let's make a deal. He's like, Jacob says, I got to go. Laban's like, no, 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 no. And, and all of a sudden, Jacob realizes, all right, I got Laban over a barrel here. He needs me. He sees how valuable I am. And he says, well, what do you want me to give you? He says, you're not going to give me anything, but I tell you what I'll do. So he renegotiates his contract. In verse 31, he says, all right, here, if you'll do this for me, I will continue to pasture your flock and keep it. And then he lays out the terms. Verse 32, let me pass through all your flock today, removing from it every speckled and spotted sheep and every black lamb, and the spotted and speckled among the goats, and they will be my wages. And so if you read the rest of the narrative, which you won't have the time to do, what he's doing is he's saying, look, I'm going to carve out the, the, typically a sheep is white and the goat is darker. He's carving out the, the kind of the, the exceptions to the rule. He's like, give me the speckled and spotted sheep and give me the lighter goats. It should just be a smaller number. Just carve them out. I'll start with that. And then whatever I build from that will be my wages, but I'll take care of your flock too. And then he says, now you'll know I'm an honest I'm dealing with you honestly, verse 33. So my honesty will answer for me later. 
when you come and you look at my wages with you, everyone that's not speckled and spotted, if it's among my flock, then you'll know I stole it. It'll be obvious. You can see the white ones are yours and the other ones are mine. And so I'm going to deal with you honestly. And so he's cutting this arrangement with them. And so he's making a pretty shrewd arrangement. Now Laban assumes, okay, this is, this is going to work out good for me. And so he says, yeah, Laban says, verse 34, good, let it be as you have said. Now let's pause for a minute, and I want to think in this arrangement, what is God's responsibility and what is man's responsibility? In the arrangement, we see God is responsible for the type of herd that develops I mean, there's no way Jacob can control if the, if the, I don't know my animal terms, okay? So if you're here and you speak animal, I'm sorry for offending you. What are baby lambs? And I don't know what baby sheep are. Are they lambs? Is that right? Is that not right? No one, y'all are like, okay, I'm going to say it with confidence and y'all won't know any different, all right? So baby animals, he can't control what type are born, whether they're spotted or speckled or, or whole. That's God's responsibility. So how big his wealth grows, how big the herd grows to, is beyond his control. What is in his control is hard work and do the job and be faithful to the agreement. And we need to remember this. What is in your control and what is in God's control? What's in your control and my control is to do my job and to be faithful and to work hard and to be honest in my dealings. But the, the wealth is up to God. And we may not believe that. Because I think very strongly ingrained in our, in our conscience is, no, it's up to me. And this is a reminder, no, it's up to God. God is the source of whatever success and wealth we enjoy. We are responsible to work hard. So think about it. That's humbling. Everyone here works hard. Puts in a hard day's work. Does the best you can with what you've got. And the Lord chooses this one. I'm going to give more wealth. This one I'm going to put on a path to, to make a lot of money. The Bible says to whom much is given, much is expected. That shouldn't be a source of pride. It's not self-made wealth. It should be humbling to realize that God chose me to bless me with this wealth. Everyone in this room has been blessed with wealth compared to the world. But some in this room have been richly blessed with wealth. And all of us should stop and say, Lord, why have you blessed me with this wealth? And he says, to whom much is given, much is expected. So Jacob's hard work and the blessing of God has made Jacob very valuable to Laban. For he had made Laban a ton of money. And I think another interesting thing to consider is Jacob took full advantage of this opportunity. I kind of wrestled with that this week. I was like, is this, is this a part of God's plan for us? And I would say yes and no. In other words, there is absolutely nothing wrong with using 
taking advantage of every opportunity you have to make wealth. But it needs to be done under the banner of I exist to bring glory to God, not under the banner of I exist to make money. When we have the banner right, I exist to, the, to bring glory to God, then we are to make the most of every gift, every education, every opportunity, whatever work situation the Lord sets before us. If I am found to be very valuable to my employee, there is nothing wrong with making a lot of money. But we need to understand it falls under the umbrella of for the glory of God. To whom much is given, much is expected. So it's not saying that you do whatever it takes to step on people's heads, to get as far as you can, to make as much money as you can, and to put people down, and to treat people wrong. The ends don't justify sinful means. But at the same time, living for the glory of God does not mean that you shouldn't use your gifts to make wealth. So as to provide for your, for your family, not to be a burden to others, and to glorify God, i.e. advance the gospel of Jesus Christ, i.e. the church is the main plan of God advancing the gospel of Jesus Christ. So yes, give to the church. Unapologetically, I say that. Members here could tell you, we're not in a financial bind. I'm not saying this for our benefit. I'm saying this for your benefit because it's God's will for your life. Give to the advancement of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He has blessed you with those resources to bring him glory. So then what happens after they cut this deal? They say, deal, done, let it be. Continue in verse 35. That very day. Laban removed the male goats that were striped and spotted and all the female goats that were speckled and spotted, every one that had white on it and every lamb that was black. And he put them in charge of his sons. And he set a distance of three days journey between himself and Jacob and Jacob pastured the rest of Laban's flock. So what happened? Jacob is the chief deceiver. He's like, deal. You can start out with all the speckled ones right after I remove them all. And he sends them off three days journey away to his sons. So uncle, father-in-law is saying, you get zero seed money for this new business venture. You are on your own. He's not looking out for the good of Jacob. He's making sure there's nothing to start with. He doesn't want a speckled and a, and a, a regular to, to, to breed another speckled for, Jabin, for Jacob. He's saying, nope, you're going to start with nothing, and you're going to probably get nothing. Laban's not a good dude. He is scheming. He's out scheming the schemer. And so he takes him far away and says, let's see how that's, this works out for you now. So what does Jacob do? He shows up first day on the job under the new arrangement, and he's like, really? There's not a single speckled one here? And he realized, he's done it again. He's done it to me again. I think there's a lesson here, something about not marrying your cousin. I don't know if that's, but just, I'm going to figure out a way to tell you, you can't marry your cousin. And so your father-in-law uncle is going to do you wrong. That's part of the worldview of wealth. So, He's scheming again. Oh, uh, so, so now we see what does Jacob do? Jacob gets to work. Now, I think in here we see Jacob scheming too. There's some weird stuff going on with 
He thinks he's going to manipulate the breeding of the, of the animals with sticks. And so he takes sticks and he, and he like shaves stripes into the bark and he sticks those sticks in front of the eyes of the, of the animals while they eat, hoping this will cause them to breed striped animals. So it's really kind of silly. And I read it and read it. And nobody has any idea what in the world he was doing. And so I think it's just his feeble attempt to try to fix the situation because he doesn't have any speckled or striped animals. And he's dead broke. And it's been 14 years. And he's been done wrong again. But to his credit, he's working hard. He's keeping his end of the deal. He's being honest, but he's doing the best he can with what he has. And so at this point, verse 43, we're told this. Thus the man, Jacob, increased greatly and had large flocks, female servants, male servants, camels, and donkeys. Jacob is loaded by verse 43. This is a rags to riches story. Jacob went from dead, broke, penniless working off debt he owed his father-in-law to to have the opportunity to marry Rachel. And after 14 hard, long years, he renegotiates his contract and he puts his head down, does the best he can for six more years, and he is richly blessed. He's wealthy. He's on the top ten of every rich list in the magazines. He is killing it. How did he do it? If we were to stop reading there, we would say this is a lesson on being a shrewd, innovative businesswoman or businessman. But is that where the credit goes? Is it this weird stick bang he did that made him rich? Not so fast. Jacob is done. He's paid his six years debt off and he is so done with his father-in-law, uncle, he can't take it anymore. Laban's family is getting furious with Jacob because they're noticing that Jacob's herd is fat and healthy and large and Laban has this scrawny little flock. And they're thinking, what in the world did he do to our father's wealth? So in chapter 31, verse 5, Jacob comes to Rachel and Leah and he's like, we got to go. Your family is mad at me. But listen to what he says. Listen to the secret of Jacob's success from Jacob's own mouth. Jacob says in verse 5, The God of my father has been with me. You know I have served your father with all my strength. Yet your father has cheated me and changed my wages ten times. Now, we didn't even know this until he tells us, but apparently as he was working hard those six years, Laban kept changing the deal on him. It would be, Laban would show up and check on the flock, and there would be all these striped sheep. And so he says, all right, from now on, you only get the spotted sheep. Laban would go home, he'd come back, and there's spotted sheep everywhere. Oh, wait, 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 wait. No, you don't get the spotted sheep. You get the mottled sheep. I don't even know what a mottled sheep is. But apparently, mottled sheep show up. And so, verse 8, if he, he changed it ten times. If he said the spotted sheep shall be your wages, then all the flock bore spotted. And if he said the striped sheep shall be your wages, then all the flock were bore striped. Thus, God has taken away the livestock of your father, and he has given them to me. He didn't say it was my sticks, it was my strategy, it was God. In this 
breeding season of the flock, I lifted my eyes and I saw in a dream that the goats that mated with the flock were striped, spotted, and mottled. Then the angel of God said to me in a dream, Jacob, and I said, here I am. And he said, lift up your eyes and see all the goats that mate with the flocks are striped, spotted, and mottled. For I have seen all that Laban is doing to you. I'm the God of Bethel. Do you remember Bethel? I'm the God of Bethel where you anointed a pillar and you made a vow to me. Now arise. Go out from this land. Return to the land of your kindred. So what's the secret of Jacob's success? God. God has made it clear to Jacob. Jacob, it wasn't your scheming. I chose to make you wealthy. And then what did he say? I have seen how you've been treated. First seven years, honeymoon period. He loved Rachel. Seven years was like a day because he was in love. Second seven years, horrible. He's been deceived by his father-in-law, uncle, and he's working his tail off, and he's like, this is a tough seven years. Next six years, hopeful, but really discouraging as he thinks, oh my goodness, he's done it to me again. He's done me wrong again, but he keeps his head down, and he keeps working, and he keeps his end of the contract, and he does what's right. And in his situation, God blessed him richly and made him wealthy. And so what does God tell you in this? I don't know if you're in the first seven years. I don't know if you're in the second seven years or if you're in that last six-year period. What God is saying to you is, I'm watching. I'm with you. I know what you're going through. I haven't forgotten about you. I love you. I'm good. I'm sovereign. I know all things. You can count on it. I'm with you. Don't lose hope. Don't lose hope. But notice what else he says to Jacob. He says, remember the vow you made back before we started this journey. He said, I'm the God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar and you made a vow to me. Now, get up and let's go. You got a vow to uphold. Do you remember what the vow was? It's recorded in chapter 28, verse 20. Remember, this was in Bethel before he went to Haran, back to Bethel. He comes in Bethel and the Lord comes to him in a dream, the Jacob ladder dream. And he says to him, I'm gonna be with you. I will be present. I will protect you. And I will provide for you. You will come back here safely. I will be with you on the whole journey. Your brother Esau who's going to pursue you. He's not going to kill you. Laban's going to deceive you. I'm going to protect you. I'm going to be with you all the way. And then Jacob in his response said in 2820. Jacob made a vow saying. If God will be with me. And will keep me in this way. That I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear. Boy, has he done that. And so that I will come again to my father's house in peace. If you'll protect me and bring me here safely, then the Lord will be my God. And this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be my God's house, place of worship. 
And all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. Hmm. You know, when I'm trying to give a tenth, I feel real generous if I give a tenth. But in the context where God says, I gave you everything, it's like, I gave you a tenth? It's not so generous anymore, is it? But it's the least he could do. And so he says, look, God, if you really will, in my place of desperation, if you really will care for me and provide for me and bring me back safely, I may have 100 bucks in my pocket. I may have 10 million bucks in my pocket. Whatever it is, a tenth of it's yours. And here he is. And God has said, I have made you rich. Now, let's go back to the place you made the vow. When we recognize that our success, our success, and that our wealth is provided to us by God, our proper response is to use it to worship him. The Bible teaches us to steward God's resources for his glory. To use it to advance the glory of God by the spread of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why he gave it to you. He looked at everybody in this room. He said, I'm going to give you this much. I'm going to give you this much. I'm going to give you this much. I'm going to have you born here. I'm going to make these education opportunities available to you. I'm going to grant you a brain that can do this kind of studying or this kind of job. And, this. and some people are going to make a lot of money and some people not so much. But he says, I gave it to you to advance my kingdom. Remember who Gave it to you. When we recognize that our success, our wealth, has come to us from God, the only proper response is to release our grip on it and say, let's use it to bring God glory. To provide for our family? Yes. To not be a burden to others? Yes. To help others who are not able? Yes but to fund the gospel ministries to advance the glory of God. And then all throughout the rest of the narratives, I'll go very briefly. Everyone is testifying to God. God's the one who made Jacob successful and wealthy. It's just repeated over and over. You get to Rachel and Leah's response when Jacob comes to them and says, we got to go. <laughs> he said, we got to go. Everybody's mad because I am wealthy because of God. He took it from your father-in-law, I mean, your, your dad, my uncle, my father-in-law, and gave it to me. And then Rachel and Leah said, as they considered it, is there any portion, this is verse 14, 31, 14, is there any portion or inheritance left to us in our father's house? No. Verse 16, all the wealth that God has taken away from our father now belongs to us and our children. So we good, let's go. <laughs> I mean, there's no inheritance to stay here for. God's already given it to us through, through Jacob's work. So let's go. Now then, whatever God has said to you, do. You see, when you recognize God is the source of all the blessings in your life, that's what you say. Whatever God says, I'll do. 
So Jacob and his family pack up the livestock and all their wealth. And when Laban's not looking, they sneak out of town. Laban finds out. He chases after him. But look what happens in verse 24. Laban's chasing after, after Jacob. He's furious. But God came to Laban, the Aramean, in a dream by night and said to him, Be careful. Watch yourself. Don't say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. He's mine. I'm protecting him. Then there's this whole scene that just cracks me up. I don't have time to read it all, but let me just, let me just tell it to you real quick. All right, so Rachel, when leaving, snuck some of the little idols, the little gods that were in Laban's household. Apparently, these are very valuable, but I think what's really going on is Laban is like, I'm dead broke, and my gods are my only hope. And Rachel snuck out of the house with some of them. But Laban doesn't know it. Jacob doesn't know it. The author tells us as readers, Rachel took them and she's hiding them in the, the saddlebag on her camel. And she's not getting off the camel because she knows they're in there. And Laban comes up and says, what are y'all doing? Why'd you leave? I would have blessed you. And wrong. He wouldn't have blessed him. And he says, besides, someone stole my gods. And Jacob's like, we didn't steal your gods. He says, someone stole my gods. He says, well, where? Why don't you show me? And so he's searching all the camp trying to find these gods and it's comical because these are the gods upon which Laban is placing his hope and he's standing next to the camel and they're in the bag and they can't speak. And they can't say anything. They can't do anything. They're just deaf, dumb, mute gods. And he's frantically searching for them. And it becomes this battle of the gods. Jacob, who has his faith in the God of Abraham, and Laban, who has his faith in himself and the gods that he can control. And Jacob gets ticked. He's done. He is done. He has put up with this for 20 years. And so in chapter 31, 37, he says, For you have felt through all my goods, and what have you found of all your household goods? Nothing. <laughs> I can just see him. He's just like letting him have it. He says, well, whatever you found, why don't you set it out here before all the kinsmen, my kinsmen and your kinsmen. Let them decide between us. These 20 years I've been working with you. Your ewes and your female goats, they have not miscarried. And I have not eaten the ram of your flocks. What was torn by wild beasts, I did not bring it to you. I bore the loss of it myself. And from my hands you required it, whether stolen by day or stolen by night. You took it from my portion. Verse 40, there I was. By the day the heat consumed me and the cold at night. And my sleep fled from my eyes. These 20 years I have been in your house. And I served you 14 years for your two daughters. And then six years for your flock. And you have changed my wages 10 times. And if the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac had not been on my side, surely now you would have sent me away empty-handed. God saw my affliction and the labor of my hands and he rebuked you last night. And then he did 
Don't you know he did that? It's not written there, but then he said, so, be gone. Get out of my house. So the battle of the gods, who won? <laughs> the one true God. Who are you placing your hope in for wealth, for provision, for protection? The one true God or some alternative lesser God of self that we create that we think will survive that we try to control. So we began with an article pressing presenting the common worldview that credits luck and feels prideful and self-reliant. But now we've seen the biblical worldview, which says there is no such thing as luck. Rather, there is a good, sovereign God who is blessing us in his grace with whatever success, whatever whatever wealth we have. And it teaches us that we should recognize God's hand in our success. God's credit, God should get credit for our wealth. It's not lucky. We're not charmed. It's not karma. And it's not self-made. It's God's sovereign grace. In your life. This should move us. To be generous vessels of God's blessings. To others. To be hard workers. To be honest. To trust that God is faithful. And to view all of our wealth. As how can I use it to advance the glory of God. Through the advancement of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Some of you are sitting there right now going, well, that was a good message for the people who are wealthy. But what about me? All the spiritual blessings of the heavenly places are yours in Christ. Don't ever say you're not blessed if you're in Christ. And that gift is a gift of sovereign grace to you. And he says, steward that grace. Advance the gospel. That's why I gave you Jesus. Some of us need to trust Jesus for the first time today. Some of us need to realize I am bankrupt spiritually. And my only hope is that God gives me his grace in Jesus Christ. He died on the cross. God took on flesh to take the death that you and I deserved, that we might escape that punishment, and that we might get all the spiritual blessings of the heavenly places by the gift of Christ. Have you trusted in Christ? Do it today. Just simply cry out to him in your heart quietly. Just, Lord, give me Christ. He is my only hope for salvation. And then the rest of our lives is spent laying our lives out for the advancement of the gospel of Jesus Christ for the glory of God. Father God, we are so richly blessed by your sovereign grace. Not to the negate of hard work, but in response to your grace, we work hard, but ultimately we must be humbled today 
to admit. As we look back over whatever success we've had, we must admit, not luck, but your sovereign grace in our life. And Lord, may we, whether it's thinking about our salvation as a gift of your grace or whatever wealth we have as a gift of your grace, may we understand we are humble stewards, humble managers of all the good gifts you have chosen to bestow upon us. So may we respond in worship, giving it all into your hands for your glory. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Norris Ferry Community Church located in Shreveport, Louisiana. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Norris Ferry Community Church, please visit us online at norrisferrychurch.org.